0: Our scripture lesson is taken from Acts chapter 19, page 1279 in the Pew Bible. Acts chapter 19, beginning at verse 21 and reading through the end of the chapter. This is an incident in the missionary journeys of Paul where we see one of the results of his preaching the gospel, which included preaching against idolatry. Acts chapter 19, verse 21. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Acadia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with workers of similar occupations and said, "Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying, They are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. And When they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seen seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Aristarchus macedonians paul's travel companions and when paul wanted to go in to the people the disciples would not allow him then some of the officials of asia who were his friends sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater some therefore cried one thing and some another for the assembly was confused and most of them did not know why they had come together and they drew alexander out of the multitude and the jews putting him forward And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make a defense to the people. But when they found out he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great as Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesus is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are procouncils. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called into question today for today's uproar, there being no reason why we may give an account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly, thus far the reading of God's word. In conjunction with it, I want to read to you from Lord's Day 34. I'm not going to read the whole Lord's Day because it contains the Ten Commandments, and uh, we read those already today, but I'll begin at uh, page 889, uh, question and answer 93. How are these commandments divided into two tables? The first four commandments teaching us how we should live in relation to God. The second has six commandments teaching what we owe our neighbor. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That I, not wanting to endanger my own salvation, avoid and shun all idolatry, sorcery, superstitious rites, and prayer to saints or to other creatures, that I rightly know the only true God, trust him alone, and look to God for every good thing, humbly and patiently, and love, fear, and honor him with all my heart. In short, that I renounce all created things rather than go against God's will in any way. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. Beloved of the Lord, the riot in Ephesus tells us something very important about Paul's preaching. Even though there is no example of preaching brought forward uh, here of Paul, He's sort of in the background of all of this. Nevertheless, it becomes clear that when Paul preached the gospel, he preached it not only in the context of idolatry, but he preached against idolatry. We don't know if the silversmith Demetrius ever heard the apostle Paul or was only going on hearsay evidence, but regardless, Paul's message was known to him and that is that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Or we could put it this way, if you make your own gods, they're not gods. So we know that when Paul preached the gospel, he preached it as opposed to the worship of idols. And if Paul preached against idolatry, then certainly modern preachers ought to follow his example and preach against idolatry as well. But some of you might think, well, is that necessary? After all, uh, ours is not an animistic culture that attributes divine attributes to wood and stone and precious metal. We don't bring offerings to material objects. Uh, We don't bow down in front of wood and stone and uh, precious metal. Uh, we, uh, We aren't like that. But if you think that, that just because we are not animistic like that and attribute uh, uh, divine qualities to material objects, uh, that we are not idolatrous, then you don't understand idolatry. Our culture is very idolatrous. As I said to you on more than one occasion, we live in a culture that uh, wants to be spiritual but not religious. And by that, that they mean that, uh, by that it is meant that uh, People want to be in touch with spiritual reality, but they don't want anyone to tell them what they have to believe. Religion is about dogma, it's about teaching, it's about doctrine and that sort of thing. They want a spirituality without the teaching. They want to be free to express their spirituality in any way they want. They want to fashion their own religion. They want to fashion their own faith. They want to make their own religion. They want to make their own faith, which means they want to make their own gods. That's what it boils down to. And even if someone is not spiritually minded, but anti-religious, even if one is a, a, a carryover from the last century that is purely materialistic and uh, secular, uh, If anyone has anything that they raise to the ultimate importance in their life other than the true God, then they have made for themselves an idol. If there is uh, something that you... can't uh, be happy without, that you need for fulfillment, something into which you put your hope or comfort or security, and that thing is to you more important than God, then that has become your idol. Idols are not always uh, evil things in themselves. We often take good things and elevate them to a position where they don't belong. Things like uh, family relationships or or work. Uh, Those are good things. But uh, when we make it the ultimate thing, then we take a good thing and we make it bad. We we make it an idol. And if you have made your own God, it is no God at all. If there is something which you would say to yourself, if God took that away from me, I don't know if I could go on. If God were to take that away from me, it would destroy my life and I would have no will to live after that. Well then, something has become more important to you than God. The Old Testament patriarch Job lost his children. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He lost the esteem of his wife and his friends. And he said, The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he bowed in worship before God. He grieved to lose all those things. But he didn't lose hope. He didn't lose his faith. He continued to trust God and look to God for all that he needed. He didn't understand It was a trial, to be sure. But he didn't say, I can't go on without my children. I can't go on without my wealth. I can't go on without my health. I don't want to live anymore. No, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he bowed and worshipped the Lord. That kind of attitude is not found in the world today. And sadly, it's not often, not always found in churches as well. And so with that in mind, we want to take a look at uh, two things in this passage. Uh, I apologize that there is no uh, points in the bulletin today, but I hope you'll bear with me having uh, preached the fourth time now this week that uh, there wasn't time for points in the bulletin. But there are two easy points tonight. Uh, What does the first commandment require and what does the first commandment forbid? What does the first commandment require And what does it forbid? And with regard to what the first commandment requires, it requires three things. That we believe in God, that we trust God, and that we love God. First of all, we need to believe in God, to acknowledge the God of Scripture as the one true God. We confess in one of our confessions that there is one eternal, invisible, almighty, all-wise, divine being, the true and living God who has revealed himself in his works and his word. Moses uh, writes in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah 44, verse 6, I am the first and the last, and beside me there is no God. His eternal power, his divine nature are clearly revealed in the things that are made. And he has spoken to us through his prophets and through his Son, Jesus Christ. There are no other powers, forces, persons, things, or combination of things that are are divine. Secular science denies the existence of God because he can't be seen or measured or quantified. They assume the universe is eternal and that if there is a God, he must be like us, made of the stuff of the universe. And since they can't find that stuff, they say it doesn't exist or he doesn't exist. They can't imagine that there is one who stands apart uh, from the world and the universe, who is its creator, who existed before the universe and who brought it all into being by his uh, uh, word of power. Increasingly, modern man is uh, returning to a more mystical understanding of reality, that there is more to reality than what we can see, but this is not a return to a biblical worldview, but a, a, rever- a return to, uh, to Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, in a nutshell, is mind over matter, or uh, uh, spirit over matter, uh, and the spirit being that which uh, we understand with our minds. So our mind and spirit are sort of, uh, the mind is the key to understanding the spirit or experiencing the spirit. And, and that, that uh, mental spiritual uh, essence of our lives is superior to the uh, physical, uh, material aspect of our lives, mind over matter, such that uh, the power of the mind uh, can transform the material uh, universe or uh, render it uh, obsolete or whatever. You know, uh, it's, it's the power of positive thinking on steroids, uh, Like the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. You know. And if you just think it, if you think it, you can create a a reality that transcends the the uh, the physical limitations that would normally hold us back. And uh, if you think uh, you have uh, uh, that you're uh, a female, even though you have X Y chromosomes, why? That's all that matters. The, 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 the biology doesn't matter. What matters is what's in your head, uh, what you think, and, and uh, the, the spirit, uh, spiritual nature of yourself that you're in touch with. That's, that's what dominates, you know. That's Gnosticism, mind over matter. But the Bible makes clear that there is only one creator of reality, and rebelling against him is not only futile, Uh, but it has deadly consequences. But the first commandment requires more than that we merely acknowledge or believe in the existence of this great creator God. It also requires that we trust him, trust him for all that we need, that we look to him and trust him. And you look to him for every good and perfect gift of which you stand in need. The Bible calls it uh, calling upon the Lord. Calling upon the Lord means calling out to him in your need, looking to him to supply that need. Psalm 50 verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. We Read in the beginning of the Bible that in the days of uh, Adam's son Seth, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. They called out to him in need and they called out to him in thanksgiving and praise. It's the the beginning of corporate worship uh, described in the Bible. Men calling upon the name of the Lord, reaching out to him saying, God, we can't do it on our own and only you can do it for us. If the Lord had not been on our side, we would have failed. We would have fallen into the, the silence of death, says uh, Psalm 94. But the Lord Jesus Christ was there, and He is on our side. And so we look to Him. We look to Him to, uh, to deliver us from the enslaving power of sin. Think of uh, the Israelites enslaved in Egypt, and how we read in the beginning of the book of Exodus, God said, I, uh, I heard your cry." And I saw your trouble and I came down to you and I delivered you and brought you out of the land of bondage and into the land flowing with milk and honey. That's a picture of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He's heard our cry of distress as we are oppressed by the power of sin and death and hell. He hears our cries, our grief, our mourning when death overtakes us. And he sees the trouble we are in, and he has come down. He has come down in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ, and done for us what we could not do for ourselves, so that we, through faith in Christ, might be forgiven and might escape death, so that even though we die, yet shall we live, and whoever lives and believes in him will never die, never taste that second death, which is the eternal lake of fire. Uh, God has come down, he has come near, and he has delivered us. He has brought us out of bondage to sin and uh, brought us into the glorious liberty of the children of God and into his uh, glorious kingdom and the promise of a glorious inheritance when Christ comes again. And so we trust him. We trust him to deliver us from the power and the penalty of sin. But we also trust Him uh, uh, for our material needs. He taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Don't put your trust in in people or in property or in possessions. All we have, we have from Him, including strength, physical strength, the work and the opportunity to work and to earn money, to buy food. That all comes from Him. And so we have to look to Him for all that we need. If He takes away your job or your ability to work, He'll provide some other way to uh, supply your material needs. The psalmist says in Psalm 37, I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. God gives us our daily bread. We look to Him for salvation we look to him to sustain our physical lives we look to him for wisdom lean not unto your own understanding may his word be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path look to him to fill up the loneliness and uh, remove fears and grant peace he's a god of comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. When the righteous cry, the Lord hears. And he delivers them. He delivers them out of all their troubles. He delivers them out of all their fears. We look to him for salvation. We look to him to sustain our lives. We look to him for wisdom. We look to him to uh, comfort us in our loneliness. And we uh, look to him to uh, help us uh, day by day. We are to believe in God, and we're to trust God but also, this commandment requires us to love God. Not just believe in him, not just trust him, but love him. Worshiping him with all our heart. Again, Moses writes in Deuteronomy 6, The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. These are the commandments I give you today to are, are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. The Christian religion is a religion of the heart. The church is the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. The relationship between bridegroom and bride is a love relationship. God taught that to Israel even in the Old Testament that uh, he was betrothed to Israel. Israel was his bride and now the church is the bride of Christ and we're to love him and express our love in worship. We considered on uh, Thursday evening Revelation 4 and 5 and what's going on in heaven. And what's going on there is worship. The, the chief activity in heaven is that the uh, four living creatures and the 24 elders and all the angels and all the saints that are uh, gathered there they are all worshiping Him who is on the throne and the Lamb who is on the throne. Worshiping God as the Creator and worshiping the Lamb as the Savior. Worship is the chief activity of heaven. And right now, as we worship, our worship rises up and joins with that worship as an expression of our love for God. What does this commandment require of us? That we believe in God that we trust God, we put our faith in him for all that we need for life and godliness in this life and the life to come, and that we love him with heart and soul and mind and strength. We haven't always believed as we ought to believe. We haven't always loved as we ought to love. And we haven't always trusted as we ought to trust. But Jesus has honored his father in every way that this commandment requires. And you can be sure that through faith in Jesus, the perfect righteousness of Christ is credited to you. And in gratitude for that, you now strive to believe in God and trust God and love God. But what does this commandment forbid? Well, it forbids idolatry. It it forbids having or inventing something in which you put your trust and hope in place of or alongside of the true God. This commandment encourages us, commands us, uh, the New Testament does, to flee idolatry, to shun every form of idolatry, whether magic or superstitious rites or praying to saints, putting our hope in uh, someone other than God. We're to shun all of that. The chief idols of our age are idols of humanity. Idols of humanity means man is the measure of all things. Uh, The temptation that uh, Satan gave to Adam and Eve is, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God knows good and evil by self-determination, by reference only to himself. And you can be like that. You don't have to measure everything now against what God says is good. You can measure everything against what you think is good. You are the, the final determiner of what is right and wrong. The idols of humanity. Man is the measure of all things. And Then there are idols of history, which means trusting in the development of the human race. We uh, hear still a great deal about evolution, although scientifically it is coming into more and more disrepute. Nevertheless, the idea that the human race is evolving and that we're getting better and that time will uh, is on our side and uh, we will uh, lift ourselves up and make ourselves better. These are idols of history where we think uh, we are evolving into a higher uh, race of people. There are idols of mammon, Uh, which means trust in material things, trust in uh, money. There are idols of nature, trusting in science as the source for a cure for all man's woes. It's thought uh, by many that the uh, technological uh, uh, advances of the modern world and the explosion of knowledge in the 20th and 21st century uh, will be the salvation of mankind, that one day we'll uh, discover uh, cheap, abundant energy that will... uh, uh, Satisfy all our energy needs without polluting the world and we'll find a magic pill that will cure every disease and uh, will uh, everybody will be rich and uh and lazy and and uh, not have to work hard anymore everything will be fine because technology will free us uh, to be uh, self indulgent all the time and then there are idols of uh, of power that is trusting in politics and uh, government to save us from the evils of our society. Uh, Christians are uh, particularly prone to uh, putting too much trust in uh, government. Uh, We certainly should be civic-minded and involved in civil affairs, but recognize that uh, the coming of God's kingdom is not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. Chief of the idols of our day is the, the love of money and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul warns, for of this you can be sure that every greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Or Colossians 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, including covetousness, which is idolatry. Or First Timothy 6, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money. Some have wandered from the faith, which means they were numbered among the faithful, yet they fell prey to the love of money and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Jesus warns in Matthew 6, No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, we are to flee gambling and lotteries and raffles and all forms of legalized coveting and flee laziness and uh, instead uh, seek to uh, do good works with our hands so that we may be generous and open-handed to those who are in need. Again, we have not fled idols as we ought. We have all fallen prey from time to time to the love of things that ought not to be loved ahead of God, but yet Christ Christ has done it for us. He has kept this commandment. He has fled idolatry, and his perfect righteousness is yours through faith in Christ. And so in gratitude for that, you should strive also to get rid of all idols. May God give us grace to believe in him, trust him, love him, and show our love by fleeing all idols. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this warning against idolatry, this call to believe in you, to trust you and to love you, and to not put anything alongside you or ahead of you, but uh, to look to you for every good and perfect gift. We pray, Father, that you would forgive us for our sins. We thank you for the righteousness of Christ by which we can come to your throne and pray that in gratitude for it, we would strive the more to keep his commandment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.